How's everybody this morning? Hopefully you're doing well. Hopefully you had a a decent weekend. And it was a wet weekend here for sure. And uh, But we made it through and uh, we got some wind with it. My gas grill went from one end of the deck to the other uh, in the wind. But hey, other than that, uh, nothing too terribly bad at all. So we will take it. We're in a rather challenging chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1 Corinthians this morning. It's in chapter 5. And uh, <clears throat> one of the things that we hear often is you shouldn't judge. Well, um, the, Jesus did say that. Uh, he said in the, in the way that you judge others, you yourselves will be judged. Uh, but when he was saying that, he was saying to people who were judgmental all the time, 
always looking for dirt, always looking for problems, always looking for a way to accuse someone else while they themselves were doing the same nasty things or worse at times. And so when Jesus told them to not judge, uh, he was talking really in many ways about don't don't live in, in judgmentalism where you're going to around to other people all the time and always judging things uh, in their lives. And uh, that's, that's really what Jesus was, was getting at. Uh, and we perhaps know people who are like that. They will judge your hair. They will judge your makeup. I, I have neither one of those for the record. Uh, and uh, they will judge your clothes or they will judge your car. Or they will judge your humor. Or they will judge your language or they will judge your, when I say a language, I don't mean like uh, Guatemalan and, and American uh, English. What I mean is what you say, or they, you know, there's all kinds of people always are looking for, and oftentimes they're looking for, for things that are wrong in someone else's life because they want to make themselves feel better. Well, the other thing that happens, and, and we see this happening in American church in certain measures, in certain ways, is <clears throat> we want to go to the opposite extreme and, and, and extend uh, immense graciousness with people. And uh, Paul is going to get into that here in this chapter, First Corinthians chapter five, and we uh, we're going to take a look at this. And you will see some of the similarities uh, in in modern uh, modern life, but also in modern Christianity, the modern church. And so we we're going to take a look at that uh, here in First Corinthians chapter five. Um, so let, us, let me get us into this passage, and we'll begin working our way down through it. I'm going to step away for just a moment to clear my throat. Okay, I've returned. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says it's actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among the pagans. A man has his father's wife. And you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Uh, now, I, let's, just, let's just stop it at verse 1, okay? We won't even go any further than, than that at this moment. Sexual morality. Uh, I mean, this this is an issue that we see in America, uh, and I was in a meeting a few weeks ago with people. Uh, actually, it was a week ago Saturday, and we and the, this topic came up about where the church is weak and and where where we're going soft, especially in America. Uh, and uh, they, the young man, I'm sure, meant you know the LBGTQ movement and what we now call the progressive Christian movement. I would prefer to take Christian out of it now, personally. Um, and, and they are taking this very, very, very true position in many ways. Now, to their defense, I want to I want to say something that's fair. Um, I think in the Christian, uh, in the progressive movement, I'm going to call it progressive movement, not progressive Christian movement, uh, the progressive church movement, 
uh, they would say, hey, we, love is what matters. And we just want people to love each other. And if two people are committed to each other, what does it matter? Now, in, in defense of that, I, I want to say something in defense of that. And this is going to sound strange that I'm saying in defense of that. They are at least holding on to that standard, perhaps, that if two people love each other, you know, be it man and a man or woman and a woman, uh, then uh, we'll abide that and, and we'll embrace that and we will encourage that. And uh, they're not saying anything goes. Now, having said that, because I want to be fair, having said that, I would also say that they're still going against Scripture because the Scripture doesn't say man and man and woman and woman. It says a man and a woman and a woman and a man. Uh, that, that's what the Scripture says. It says it in the Old Testament. It says it in the Middle Testament, if you want to call it that. But later in, in the Old Testament, it says it in the New Testament. Jesus talked about a, a man and a woman will uh, be one flesh, and the two should not be... Uh, he didn't say anything about uh, same-sex marriages. And some say that because he was silent on the issue, uh, that, that means that he would embrace it. No, that isn't the case. Uh, because he said, you could take the opposite, because he says a man and a woman will that is the definition that Jesus provided. So Jesus did provide definition of the subject matter. Now, having said that, uh, this this particular church had a person in it, and this person was having sexual relations with with his wife, his father's wife. Now, it doesn't say with his mother. Uh, it doesn't say that, and. Uh, it could have been his mother, but the way that it stated, the way that Paul states this leads one to think that it is perhaps the father's second wife or a different wife. Uh, I say different. It wasn't like they had multiple wives at one time, at least not legally and at least not societally embraced, wasn't embraced in that culture if there was polygamy that was taking place. What we do think is that probably either his father was divorced or his father's uh, first wife had passed, and he was remarried. And so this uh, man is having sexual relations with his father's wife. Uh, and the church is going, well, you know, we, we just got to love on these people, and, you know, uh, to each their own. Uh, it, it isn't ours to press in on these things. Um now, there's a lot of other sexual immorality uh, in our day. You may or may not be aware of, I mean, how much body selling is taking place here uh, globally, but especially in the Western world. When I say body selling, I'm not talking human trafficking. I'm talking people selling their own, uh, their, their own bodies online for money. Uh, that that is a big, big, big business. Uh, I've never researched the amount of business um, that's a part of that. But you, you'll read it in the news lines about a teacher who's left their pr- profession to begin an online, and then if you open it up and you read, it, it'll talk about OnlyFans or those types of things, and uh, which is is really largely a sell your body for money types of things. You perform online, and people pay you. Uh, and that is, that's a, that's a big deal. Uh, there are women that do that. There are men that do that. There are couples that do that. And 
There's a lot of money that is generated out of that. That is not okay. Um, that is not what we should, you know, we should say, well, people have to make money in those days. And it's their own body. It seems like they should be able to do what they want to do. Well, no, uh, that, that isn't what, um, what the apostle Paul concludes here in this chapter. Um, now the the church was was very accepting. The church was supportive. The church, you know, and there, there could have been other circumstances. We we don't know what other circumstances there may have been. Uh, we don't know. What we do know is verse one says this says a man has his father's wife, and this is talking about sexual immorality. How do we know that? Because it says it in the verse it says sexual immorality of a kind that does not even uh, occur among the pagans. It says you're proud. And they're proud. Why? Because they put up with it. There are things that we put up in, put up with in the church that we really shouldn't. Now, some people would say, well, every, everybody just needs to mind their own business, not in the body of Christ. We are all connected to each other, and we all should be concerned about the, uh, the reputation of Jesus that comes through our lives and the things that we do and say and do and don't do and don't say. Uh, that that will follow us as a church. I know I've pastored in, in, in churches where you, where we have seen some of these messes, and the community looks and goes, "Oh, if that's if that's what Christianity is. I, I don't want any. It's no different than than what the world has." And so we have to be so very very careful. Uh, he says in verse two, "You're proud." Uh, shouldn't you have been filled with grief uh, and put put out of your fellowship the man who did this? He says, even though I'm not physically present with you, I'm with you in spirit. I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. Now, I want to go back. Uh, verse 1. Uh, there's something in verse 1 to, to further uh, highlight this, it does not say a man had his father's wife. It doesn't say there was an occurrence. Uh, what it does say is has, which is like an active heiress tense. In other words, it means that this is something that's continuing to go on, continuing to happen, uh, and the church is okay with this. It would be like, okay, the, uh, the man walks in, uh, the man's father walks in, the woman walks in, they all sit in the same row, and, and both the men hold her hands. Uh, should not be. Uh, but they were proud of how accepting, they were proud of how affirming. Uh, you, I can see driving up a street, particular street in Belfast, uh, Miller Street in Belfast, where it talks about we're opening and affirming, a great big sign hanging on the side of the building. Uh, and I would say we're not open and we're not affirming. We will affirm people, people's worth and value and dignity based on things other than sinful lifestyle. And I know that this goes against culture. I know, friends, if I'm not online tomorrow, it could be because someone reports this. They listen to it and go, well, that channel's gone. But friends, I'm comparing what we're looking at with what we read in the scriptures, with what we're seeing in our culture and what we're reading in the scriptures. Paul says you should not be proud. He says, shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and put out of your fellowship the man that did this? And you talk about that. Wait, you're talking excommunication. Yes. 
Uh, now, and Paul will talk about, as we go further into this passage, Paul will talk about the reason for this position. Uh, and, and the reason isn't just, oh, hey, let's uh, let's get even with, with this man or something like that. He's not talking about that at all. What, what Paul is talking about in this passage is so that the man can be made right with God. Now, we said... Uh, put out of your fellowship in a certain sense, yes, excommunication, church discipline. You know, you should have confronted the man, you should have challenged the man, uh, you should have warned the man, and if the man didn't listen, put out of your fellowship the man who did this. There, there's a process, we read of it in, in uh, Matthew chapter 18, and then he goes on and says, even though I'm not physically present. I am with you in spirit. I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. Now, some would say, yeah, but we're not supposed to judge. Yes, we are. And we're going to conclude this passage and realize that we have a responsibility to pass judgment. Now, it isn't to, to dig it out. It isn't to uh, you know go looking under every rock. It, 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 and it's a fair judgment based on open behavior, flagrant behavior, that needed to be confronted. So that's where Paul says, I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. In other words, he says, look, I don't need to be there. I know what the circumstance is reported to be. I know what the Bible teaches. I know what God's standard is. And so therefore, even though I am not there, I can pass judgment and tell you that this is what you need to do goes on and says, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present. In other words, he's saying, be prayerful. Uh, pursue the Lord. Seek the Lord. And, and so uh, you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord Jesus is there because of the prayerfulness. It says this, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. In other words, turn him over to his own flesh. Turn him over to the things that he thinks he wants to go and to do. Just let him go do those things and and, and tell him he has no place in, in the life of the church. That's what it means when it says, hand this man over to Satan. What's the goal? So that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Now, I'm going to put this into uh, the New Living Translation, uh, and then we're going to see what Peterson pulls out through his rendering in his um, paraphrase. Uh, we will look at verses 4 and 5. It says, uh, in fact, we'll start at 3, even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit, uh, as though I were there, I've already passed judgment on this man uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I'll be present with you in spirit, so the power of Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself be saved on the day the Lord returns, that he would get spiritually right. The message. Verse 3, I'll tell you what I would do. Even though I'm not there in person, consider me right there with you because I can fully see what's going on. I'm telling you that this is wrong. You must not simply look the other way and hope it goes away on its own. Bring it out in the open and deal with it and with the authority of Jesus, our Master. Assemble the community. 
I'll be present with you in spirit, and our master Jesus will be present in power. Hold this man's conduct up to public scrutiny. Let him defend it if he can. But if he can't, then out with him. It'll be totally devastating to him, of course, and embarrassing to you. But better devastation and embarrassment than damnation. You want him on his feet and forgiven before the master on the day of judgment. That is the uh, Eugene Peterson, the message paraphrase that we just looked at. He is talking about dealing with this with great severity. Verse 6, he goes on, he says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know the little yeast uh, works through the whole batch of dough? Now, this is one of the illustrations where yeast is is shown a little bit of sin, but will become per- pervasive and work its way through, uh, through the whole church uh, and will affect others, and others will let their guard down, and the standard will go out the window, and there no longer will be a standard. Verse 7, he says, Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast. In other words, without sin. As you really are, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Christ has made you clean. Continue to live in the cleanness that, that Christ has called you into. The holiness that God has called you into. Um, this, is a, this is a harder passage. It's a straightforward passage. Uh, uh, it doesn't leave wiggle room, and maybe it, you know there could be aspects of us uh, in our personal lives that makes us squirm a little bit. Uh, some of us don't don't like when you hear the word judgment. You think, well, Jesus said, "Don't judge." Yes, but he was saying it to people who were all the time judging people constantly, continually judgmentalism. Here, it, it, it's in in the church when there is a situation that maybe you've tried to deal with and someone's tried to confront and it just doesn't want to go away. Sometimes it takes further action. Uh, Jesus talked about this back in Matthew chapter 18. I'll take us over there real quick and we can take a look at Matthew 18. Um, verses 15 through 20. Jesus says this, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens, you've won your brother over. Now, it might, even, not, might not even be if a brother sins against you. It might be if he publicly sins. Now, we've got to be careful, again, of judgmentalism. Uh, there was a, a plumber by the name of George, uh, and there was this, uh, he was, a, uh, he was a, a widower, and there was a uh, widow lady in, in the same church named Martha, and uh, Martha had driven by the uh, the local saloon one night and noticed that George's truck was sitting outside the saloon. So she started talking to people about uh, George and how, how sad it was that, that George, his dear brother that she had begun to have feelings for, uh, was was most likely a, a sinner and a drunkard because his truck was parked outside the saloon. She went by and it was still there the next morning, and she thought, "Oh, he's you know." And so she she started to spread all this gossip. Well, um, George found out about the gossip. George got his truck fixed. Well, that night when George got his truck fixed, he went and parked his truck outside of Martha's house and left it there overnight just to see what gossip might ensue as a result of that. 
We've got to be careful not to, to, to cast judgment. We've got to, and that, that's supposed to be a comical story. It's supposed to be a little bit of a joke that makes the point, um, you know, that, that we shouldn't just jump to judgment. Uh, and yet, when we know absolutely a person is, is in this sinful lifestyle, you, you go to them and you confront them. He says, uh, you've won your brother over if you just go to the tube, but if you will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, it says the church. I mean, in our practice, this would be go to the elders and make an elder matter. Now, sometimes maybe it does need to go to the entirety of the entire body if it has that blown uh, if it's blown up that badly, perhaps you need to have a, a public meeting about the situation. That that that's that, that that is an extreme example. That's not something we should run to every time something happens. Um, so he says, verse seventeen: If you refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. Refuse to listen to even the church. Treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. I tell you the truth: Whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. So. You know, if you bind a person uh, because of their sins, then they're bound in their sins. But if they have found forgiveness in the life of the church, they, they will be forgiven and loosed in the church. Uh, but here, Jesus gives a prescript with how to deal with a brother in a sinful circumstance, such as the one that we're reading about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's continue working our way down through there. Uh, we were at verse 7, and it says this, uh, Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a, a new batch without yeast. In other words, we're, we're to be holy before the Lord, as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. We are called to, to live in Christ. It says, Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness. And see, he's not talking about literal yeast. And Some will eat some communion breads because it might have yeast in it. And... Uh, there are different examples and illustrations. I, I could take a whole um, one of our sessions and just talk about uh, yeast and its illustrations of wickedness and its illustrations of righteousness uh, in the New Testament. It says, but uh, but the, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity of truth. And he says, I have written to you in my letter. So this tells you there was a former letter. Uh, not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. Now, I, I really appreciate what Paul does here because some of us, when you know, we look around at the world and, and listen, non-Christians are going to live like non-Christians. It's just that simple. They're, they're not going to live as believers would live. And yet, what we, what we tend to do is we, we get all judgy about non-believers living you know, all aghast when they use language that we don't think they should use, or if they're carousing or drunk or those types of things. We get all aghast at that. Well, at the same time, turning a blind eye to brothers and sisters in Christ who maybe are doing the same thing, maybe a little bit more secretively, uh, but, but people see it, people know it. Uh, we're not to judge the world, but we are to have an aspect of accountability with one another. Verse 11, he says, But now I'm writing that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral. And listen, he doesn't just stop there. He says, or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler with such a man, 
do not even eat. In other words, what Paul is saying is treat this with great severity. It says don't eat. Don't don't just have casual fellowship and just pretend it's all okay. If, if you're going to eat with a person, you're going to eat with a person because you're going to be confronting them about have you changed your life yet? Or even say you haven't changed your life yet. So Paul would say don't, don't just have casual fellowship in this type of situation. Uh, we need to treat with severity these types of things. And, and the list in verse 11 is a sample list where it talks about sexually immoral, greedy, idolater, slander, drunkard, swindler. It, it's a sample list. Um, but it's a lot more inclusive. How easy it is it to be greedy? How easy is it to, to idolize something? How easy is it to slander somebody? How easy can it be in, in business maybe to, to swindle somebody out of something? Now, Paul says this in verse 12. He says, what business, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those on the outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. This is a tough, tough passage. But it's talking about, you know, don't treat this lightly. You, you can't just let it go on and on and on. You need to confront it. You need to come after it. And you need to say this is not okay. It, this is church discipline. Now, again, we're not to judge those outside. But there is to be a measure of accountability among us on the inside. May we learn to be able to speak the truth and love to each other. May we learn to be able to accept the truth spoken in love by a brother and sister and change our ways that we might become more like Christ. Lord, this has been a tough passage in some ways, uh, but yet a very real passage in, in other ways. Help us to take your, uh, your word to heart. Help us to uh, consider what it means to us. Help us to not live with this yeast in our own lives, but rather to live in holiness and pursuing after Christ. And Lord, even as we pray for these things, we, we do remember to pray for Israel today. Uh, at war, we're told in, in Psalm 122, verse 6, to pray for the peace of Israel, So uh, for the peace of Jerusalem. So Lord, today we pray for the peace of Israel and the war that's going on there, and the questions that are coming up about that war, as well as what continues to, to happen uh, in Ukraine and other places in our world. Lord, hear our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.